Hello and welcome to another episode of Beer Barians. I am your host, Andrew Hogland. With me I have my friends. I'm Kyle Cephalo. I'm Raymond Gonzalez. Alright gentlemen, uh, so what are you drinking today? I'm drinking a local beer by Morgan Territory. It's called Bees Better Have My Honey. It's a honey wheat ale with uh, tangerine in it. Nice. So I just cracked open a half dome. It's a California wheat beer from Tioga or Tioga Sequoia Brewing Co. So it's a wheat beer brewed with peaches, you know, 4.7 ABV. Real clean. All right. And uh, I myself don't have a have a beer right now, so I but to not be an absolute poser I have uh, decided to make myself a gin and juice with uh, Kirkland... One sec. Kirkland London Dry. With Kirkland London Dry. Thank you, Kyle. And some Simply Orange. Honestly, could use a bit more gin to... But, you know what? That's neither here nor there. So. The bottle's right there, man. Uh, Nothing's uh, stopping you from adding All right, all right. Uh, In fact, peer pressure is encouraging you to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... For the record, everyone on this show is above the legal drinking age. Drink responsibly. <laughs> you know, when I was younger, I used to think it said drink responsively, like as though you're responding to stuff. Oh, hold on, you can get at least another glug in there. There you go. All right, all right, all right. It's a social lubricant. I, I. There's a discussion to be had there that we will not have tonight. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so tonight we'll be discussing uh, the shows and movies on t- television and, and, and movies uh, that influence uh, tabletop, whether through direct media or directly or through influencing the players thereof. Uh, I guess to start us off, uh, do you guys have any like favorite fantasy or sci-fi movies or shows? If you had to pick one. I mean, I think it, it, it's hard to not pick Lord of the Rings, right? Right. You you kind of have to have an internal argument with yourself on what beats it. So, I mean, Tolkien's work is incredibly rich. And I, prolific. He, prolific. I, just so much effort and a level of background detail that you don't get in some other uh, media. Hey. The dude was really into linguistics, and basically the Lord of the Rings, you know, besides being, uh, you know, stories that he would just come up with and tell his children at bedtime, it was a way for him to create, you know, conlangs and then throw them out into the universe. I mean, even, like, D&D, D&D dwarves are lifted almost directly out of the pages of Tolkien. The spelling for multiple dwarves (laughs) has been directly affected by Tolkien's work. Yeah, and same thing with (laughs) D&D elves. And I mean, a lot of the basis of D&D, in fact, is just based purely in Tolkien for a good reason. I mean, he's not... I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone that uh, I think that Tolkien's the end-all be-all. I mean, there are other authors and and 
series out there that, that definitely have certain aspects that I like better. But it's hard to beat the total package that is Lord of the Rings. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, but yeah, like, but any notes specifically on the movies? So, the more so, I think for our generations than previous, right? A lot of tabletop role players that you'll run into are, are directly influenced by the Peter Jackson movies, right? The amount of people that come in and play an elf ranger and they are just just off-brand trying, yeah they there's as many off-brand legolas's at D tables as there are uh recolored sonic fan fiction you know ocs on the internet <laughs> and i mean on relating directly to tabletop i i'd say that you know it's it's hard to argue with the fact that you've had you've had every group of D&D players has a story about how some campaign was derailed by someone who wanted to have a drinking contest it, all uh Lord of the Rings where Gimli and Legolas have the drinking contest in, in the bar I feel like the drinking contest runs like deeper than the Gimli and Legolas drinking contest but that you're probably right. I mean, I haven't read the books personally, so I couldn't tell you if that's even in the books. It it seems like something that, that plays better to the screen than, than books. But... Uh, they probably would have had, like, had a song about it in the books, but uh, now th this is a question for my brother as opposed to myself. Uh, my brother being a big Lord of the Rings fan. Yeah, I haven't read... I wouldn't have used the word fan. <laughs> yeah, you're... Your brother really should have been involved in an episode on the Lord of the Rings. You know what? That's what you should do in the future. <laughs> Interview your brother just on the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and then spend five hours, you know, there and have to cut it down to, to an hour in post. Speaking of Lord of the Rings, <laughs> so there's a term there's a term in tabletop gaming called railroading. Mm-hmm. And railroading, for those who are not in the know, is when the game master in D&D, it's called the DM, or Dungeon Master. Uh, the Game Master basically shoehorns the party into one course of action. And one of the biggest problems that people get from wanting to run a Lord of the Rings campaign versus just getting playing characters inspired by the Lord of the Rings or making encounters inspired by Lord of the Rings, one of the biggest problems comes in railroading. So many of the decisions in Lord of the Rings pertain directly to the content of the character of one or more of the characters on screen that it just doesn't work for a tabletop setting. For a tabletop campaign, if you will. Well, you would deviate at the first possible decision in almost every case. It, it's hard sometimes to hand somebody a character sheet and it goes hey, this is what this guy is like, and have them play, play, play yeah. that. Like, So I, I bring up the railroading thing because I have seen people try to run Lord of the Rings campaigns, and in almost every case, they end up having to heavy-handedly railroad the party into a into 
even just as early in the story as Bree, that, that dancing pony, or the dancing pony inn, mm-hmm. where the ring rings kill the beds. Um, I'm just seeing it now. Why can't we fight them? Yeah, exactly. I want to f- fight the ring wraiths. Or, or the player who uh, who fails their stealth check as they're hiding under the tree, and then the ring wraiths manage to find them. But yeah, I. It just at any number of places, it, it's it just falls apart. I feel like there's a lot of boxed games that are like that mm-hmm. like it, it will be D&D based or D&D light or you know some D6 system based and it'll be about some characters it might even be something that you've done before there was a Game right? of Thrones game that was that was almost dead on accurate to the show mm-hmm. in that like you move your armies around each yeah. person gets one of the roles at the king's table the mm-hmm. person who's out the role has more freedom to attack certain people. Are you talking about the uh, board game where it's like you're managing like it's, food and stuff? It's similar to Risk. I don't remember if you're managing food and the like. But there's like boats and horses and stuff. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've played that. That's not exactly what I was but, thinking of. I was thinking more of like um, Dragonlance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragonlance had like a boxed game where... You know, it had like little cardboard cutouts, and it's like, oh, I get oh, to yeah, be, yeah, I remember that, yeah, yeah I, I get to be Stern Brightblade, right? How many, how many people, you know, right? If you just got like some random person had them sit at, sit at the table, if they'd never read Dragons of Autumn Twilight or um, Spring Dawning, like any of those books, right? How many of them are gonna act like Stern Brightblade? Yeah, I mean, that's at, outside of like Minsk. How many people are gonna act oh, like someone yeah. out of a out of an actual D&D yeah okay setting yeah, or game. yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think go for the eyes boo <laughs> I think Minsk is the only character that any D and D player who is worth their salt should a research and if they already know who he is could easily play him as a character on the tabletop and it'd be accurate to Minsk <sighs> really simple to understand character. With a miniature giant space hamster. <laughs> Memories. <laughs> but um, it, I think, so I, I think maybe you want to s- s- turn slightly back towards the topic of like what movies, etc. Yeah, and, and movies and TV alike. They, a lot of movies and TV shows lend themselves more to the, the board gaming aspect of tabletop gaming rather than the RPGs aspect. But you can pull so much good, good meaty content from those movies, right? Yeah. Everyone's seen the the scene in Lord of the Rings where they see like Aragorn shove some herbs into Frodo after getting stabbed by one of the ring raids, and, mm-hmm. and thought, "Oh, medicine check." Yeah. So, uh, the direction I, I was instead thinking was more of, I think every DM's run into this. You are reading books or you're watching movies, whatever. And there's something, right? Like a, a plot, grain. a grain, right? And then you take that and you reimagine it or reinsert it into your campaign. Oh yeah, totally. Right? And I mean, with enough dressing on it, sometimes people won't won't even realize that they're literally in the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> right? You I know? did that with Wayloon Prison Blues to you guys a couple of times. There were a couple of of points where you're just like, 
you almost got it, and then you just didn't catch it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I snuck a few of those by you guys. It's, uh, you know, you can, you can have people going around fighting monsters and capturing them and in, you know, magical containment artifacts or whatever, and it'll be a toss-up on whether or not your players realize that, that it's literally just Pokemon, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you throw enough, uh, you throw enough of a, uh, spin on Ocean's Eleven at your players, and then, yeah, and then they, they realize that this, uh, that this fortress that they're breaking into, uh, in the middle of Baldur's Gate is actually just a casino that they're trying to rob. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, we, I think we are, lifted... are, are you referencing, uh, the Baldur's Gate, uh, Dragon Heist book that came out? Uh, partially, even though that's only in, like, one, one session of the game. <laughs> yeah, like, because... One thing I heard, one thing I deal with is like hearing about things and not yeah, actually yeah. reading them. Like someone just just posted online a picture of uh, uh, the Dragon Heist, the book, and then just commented, "This book ne features neither a dragon nor a heist." Zero out of ten. I'm like, did did that really happen? And I defer to you. Did that really happen? <laughs> it's it the heist in that book is effectively background information to the story. Nice. Which is wholly disappointing to someone who is a heist movie aficionado like myself. <laughs> like, I will, at any point in time that I DM, try and shoehorn in, like, heist movie uh, references to my campaigns. <laughs> um, I think to your point, right is Wizards of the Coast uh, at least like as far as like Twitter and, and like kind of some of the stuff that they'll put out they've actually been very forthcoming that a lot of their 5e modules will be roughly based on some other story that we're already familiar with or we'll have like flavors to it of that so like um, Storm King's Thunder was supposed to be based on one of Shakespeare's plays. I, I can't remember which. To, I always added a word to that campaign, so I never paid too much attention to it otherwise. I always added the word thighs to the end of it, so it turned into Storm King's Thunder Thighs. Thank, thank you, Kyle. <laughs> I actually uh, found someone who modified the uh, campaign in a different way, in Storm King's Disco Thunder. <laughs> Yours is Dude. better. Dude. Do we ever look into... Uh, Lasers and Liches, that, like, synth-punk D&D module? Dude. No, but maybe we should. <laughs> Dude. I mean, we've done weirder things, <laughs> right? Like, we, we've we gone to, uh, like, a magical gnome city, you know, with flashing lights and, and people, like, public, the public transportation being essentially catapulting people. Right, and there's like nets and stuff to catch them. Uh, and a half drow lawyer who uses asbestos paper to deal with dragons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Half orc who <laughs> likes to enjoy in yes, sandpaper cigarettes. Yeah, <laughs> your your sandpaper cigarettes and the. Uh, gosh, what what was it? It was your you were friends with an eco terrorist that was trying to use the purple worms to <laughs> sink the 
the gnomish city because it was the most technologically advanced. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it was like some massive water elemental. I must have missed the description or something. Uh, I there, there might have been both. Yeah, like I. I think we only really touched on that with, like, the oil rig. Damn, I could have hung out with, uh, half-elf girl Ted Kaczynski with giant worms. Yeah. As you can tell, we get our, uh, we get our sources from more than just Lord of the Rings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I guess back to your original question. The favorite, I think, probably for both of us, like, as far as a movie, uh, inspiring the way that you think about, uh fantasy races okay. it's really hard to say you know to not say lord of the rings right i'm not going to come to you and say dude bright makes me like that's how i view orcs that's how i view fairies right he's earned his tusks today yeah <laughs> that elf has a magic wand get her <laughs> Oh, jeez, that movie. I, you know, I, I, I tried, we tried doing that one campaign where, like, magic was restricted, and I, like, I tried to emphasize that, like, having a wand would be like having an AK, right, and just walking around with it, and, like, everybody was down for, like, 30 minutes, and then nobody wanted to, like, participate in the, like, oh, it'll be hard to get... Because the... Because the rules are written around ha everyone having access to implements. Yeah. Listen, That's man. That's the biggest problem. The, the the rules in the book are suggestions on how to play the game. Regardless of what they'll tell you. <laughs> the rules... And I I touched on this in the last... Uh, in the last uh, podcast, but... The rules are really a wall between you and, and telling your story. Right. And, I mean... As much as they're a wall that keeps your story in this domain that you can manage it, it's also it also puts up walls between you and the story that you want to tell. I mean, you want to tell the story where where magic's really heavily regulated and you know rightfully so because it's dangerous having people that are walking or, or that are literal walking artillery pieces in public is probably not a good idea, but. At the same token, you're, you're building a rule set inside of a rule set now. Mm -hmm. And it's it's starting to say, okay, yes, something like Lord of the Rings, not everyone can shoot a fireball. In fact, that's very rare. In fact, we see, I think, one character shoot actual fire throughout the entirety of the uh, movies, right? I think it's only uh, Saruman. Or am I even wrong there? I'm not sure if Saruman, like, throws any magical projectile, but he does, like, fling Gandalf around the room with magic and stuff. But Yeah, but that's pretty low-level magic as far as D&D &D is concerned. Right. Well, Where I mean, you can turn someone into a flying T-Rex. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we've wandered a little bit, but yes. Wandered. So the answer to what would be, like, our f favorite movie, Tolkien. Right. If this changes to what is like your favorite book series, then there's I, another discussion. Yeah. Then then there's a different discussion because I'm going to tell you Dragonlance full stop. Like the the loose focus of this uh, episode is uh, the TV and film that influences. Yes. Yeah, totally understandable. And then of course the discussion 
that happens in response to that. Mm-hmm. TV, uh, TV. I think everyone's fantasy TV series now is uh, Lord of the Rings, or not Lord of the Rings, um, Game of Thrones. Those two are only similar in, in the fact that they both use the the same technique to to make their armor. That's special effects information that's opening up the kimono a little bit, but those those two series are not at all similar in tone but nowadays i think we're going to start seeing a lot more people who are influenced by game of thrones and brought in from that which is a very low fantasy setting which is probably going to be better all the better so i've heard this argument like oh game of thrones is low fantasy but then you have to like go around in the books there's like so first off let's just talk about like there's a zombie apocalypse coming from the north there's dragons and there's like spellcasters, so, so I don't have like a, a horse in this race, but I do want to bring up how this, many this argument. Say, hold on, how I'm many not... people in in Game of Thrones have seen magic in their lives? Uh, you're on mm. the wrong continent. So yeah, Westerosi people, right? Magic is a myth, right? It, it's um, it's almost a Part of Game of Thrones is almost as if there's cosmic cycles, like with Shadowrun, right? Shadowrun has periods in Earth's history where magic is uh, waxing and periods where magic is waning. And that is somewhat also built into the Game of Thrones universe, right? or the Song of Ice and Fire universe, right? And that's the whole thing behind, like, the glass candles are burning, right is magic does it it yeah sure the maesters study magic but it's a joke because magic doesn't exist magic doesn't do anything you can't take these pieces of obsidian and actually burn that glass like a candle it doesn't work that way well what happens when it suddenly starts working that way Right, it, 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 it gets scary. Yeah, it gets scary. Right, people are suddenly facing things that they never like fairy tales. You right? You see in in Game of Thrones skeletons of dragons and inside the uh, inside the basement of King's Landing, and they talk about these skeletons of the dragons and say and mention how uh, by the time of the final one of them dying. The largest one was no larger than the size of a dog. I think and it was a cat. Yeah. yeah, the skull was the size of a cat. Yeah, and so you... But you have these other ones that are like are this living room. They're... Yeah, they're... They're, they're shed big. At, yeah, like... At the point that at, that statement's made... House the, big. At the point that that statement's made, the three dragons are the size of a house. And the, the point that I'm trying to make is that there are only three of them. Mm-hmm. And it, the but there point was that a I'm time when like that that the magic is rare in that setting, right? Yeah. Currently, at least. So, right. And so, I would I wouldn't call it low fantasy. Like I don't have a good grasp of like the subgenres of fantasy. So like I don't know where the bar stops at low fantasy or versus. It's I, kind of a it's kind of a gradient, really. Yeah, yeah. It's like so it, usually like when you start like something starts becoming high fantasy right you start introducing more and more races and there's 
a magic sword on you know every street corner you're tripping over them yeah right in in high fantasy the economy is based on magic not really based upon anything else right in high fantasy a wizard is just like you or me and not someone under a watch list yeah yeah in low fantasy you'll run across a wizard maybe if you're someone who's really important like one every, out of every ten really important people will run across will run across a mage of some sort. One in millions. Yeah, right. They're, low fantasy, truly talented magicians are rare, and I mean that's why I said that that Game of Thrones is low fantasy is because yes, there's all these really fantastic things that are going off everywhere, but in reality. They treat it mostly as a medieval setting that occasionally has has a wizard or someone who can fart fire or whatever. But somebody casting a level two, to use D&D terms, somebody casting like a level two spell in Game of Thrones is the most powerful man on earth. You know what I mean? Understandable. Whereas someone casting, well, actually, even in Lord of the Rings too, someone casting a level two spell in Lord of the Rings would definitely be the most powerful person in that in that region. Yeah, <laughs> most of the spells that that. Okay, I get. I guess even cantrips in in Game of Thrones would be spicy, right? Somebody's able to like freeze you from thirty feet away by pointing a finger. Mm-hmm. Right, you you'd be deathly afraid of that man. Yeah, dude, that's the Night King. Or suddenly make your food taste. And uh, are, are you not like deathly... ash in your mouth? Yeah, not deathly afraid of the Night King. Dude, he's a TV character. Why would I have to be scared of him? <laughs> same. <laughs> uh, Whoa, same. No, no, I, I, no. If I if I saw something adjacent to the Night King, I'd uh, probably, be deathly afraid. Probably be living dead. Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, but just like, I don't know, I make the argument because like, I hear low fantasy, I imagine like, honestly how I used to perceive Game of Thrones, but uh, after, okay, so I joined in on the Game of Thrones train right as it ended. Literally like, season eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and somehow came second place in our Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, little side story. We all made bets as to who would live or die, and like little, like other things, like oh, who is, who, what's the same? Who, who's gonna? I'm sorry. Uh, who, who's Azora High? Yep. Uh, who will get the Iron Throne? Mm-hmm. All, all this other stuff, and just going based purely off of like passing knowledge that I had in conversations, and people going like, oh, dude, it's so dark and gritty, and just, I was just like, okay, uh, just. Marks it, who who would live, who would die, and just like made a just shotgun guess as to uh, who would get the throne, who is Azor. I, I had no idea who the Azor High is. I made a guess as to who would be, didn't get it, but was in the same family. Although I don't know, in the same family isn't like quite the same. And oh, I was the only one to get. It's like by purely having a meme answer. Uh, like a write-in as opposed to marking one of the two options. I won the Clegane Bowl. <laughs> it's like, oh, who would win a... Double TKO. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. 
who's gonna win the Clegane Bowl, the Mountain or the Hound? And I just and I knocked down uh, and I just wrote down oh double knockout and like <laughs> no one else like be, because I decided to be a cheeky little bugger, I I ended up being the only one winning it. <laughs> like by virtue of like expanding upon the answer, I took away everyone else's chance to have a point in that. <laughs> Oh my god, and it felt so great. Oh. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but... Anyway, go going back. Uh, season 8. Uh, oh, last thing. I, I want to make it clear that having no knowledge of Game of Thrones, I lost the Deadpool by, like, what, two points? Yeah, it was frightening. <laughs> like, the rest of us have watched every season. We were, we were joining up every Sunday night to watch it at like 7 p.m., right? And this guy just comes in, shows up for season eight, right? Shows up every week, is like just... just the second episode. Oh, maybe you missed the second episode. Third, maybe. Whatever, right? You're just making meme comments the entire time, right? <laughs> making fun of everything. <laughs> I, I, almost take... Almost win it all, right? <laughs> Makes the the most correct, you know, uh, assumptions. I almost won fifteen bucks. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all chipped in like a dollar or something. Yeah, into that pool. It's just, it was astounding. <laughs> goes to Hoglian knowledge goes to show that the writing on that show really went downhill. <laughs> That Andrew was able to guess at it. <laughs> you haven't even seen seasons one through seven. Or at the time, you hadn't. The most I'd seen was like a scene that someone was like, dude, check this out. And I was like, okay. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Scenes that had like no influence on the plot. Except for like maybe one when Tyrion did the thing. It's a good speech. Uh, not that one. Oh. Basically every one of his scenes is a good speech. What what scene are you talking about then? Oh, uh... His, his, his final scene with Tywin. Oh. Oh yeah, that's a good speech. He's <laughs> <laughs> like... Looks at, his, looks at his dad. I drink and I know things. Da -da -da -da. Going back. Yeah, I, uh, after season... Eight, I have a weird relationship with the show because I like... I watched season 8 and was like, man, that was kind of... I mean, it was cool at parts, but it was kind of lame. Then I went back to, like, watch a bunch of lore videos about, like, the books. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, this is a really interesting setting in history. How'd they What happened? Up? Yeah, what happened? <laughs> right? No, I mean, it... it Dude, what, what they did so with... So, ju uh, just to... Oh, go ahead. What was the Greyjoy antagonist? The, uh... Yard Greyjoy? Yeah, uh... Euron. Euron Greyjoy. Oh, okay, yeah. the uncle. Dude, Euron is so, like, cool and evil mm -hmm. in the books, and in the show, he's just like, ha-ha, frat guy, I'm gonna have sex with Cersei, and there's nothing you can do about it, Jamie. Whereas in the books, no, this dude, like, went to Valyria, right? Mm -hmm. Got, like, a cool sword, like... Implied to have lost his eye in a bargain with, like, dark gods. And has a, like, magical horn 
that explodes the person who blows on it and can allegedly control dragons. And also a bunch of... He did a bunch of evil things that I'm not comfortable talking about. So I think this is a good point to mention here. A divergence between the show mm -hmm. and the books as a way of getting people into the tabletop hobby. Right. And why... I, I would say this kind of further compounds that the show is a low fantasy setting and the books are a little bit more towards the high fantasy because right, there's right. there's dudes sailing off to the east, you know, to the space orient and coming back with crazy magical artifacts. And, and a gun. And everything, right? There's... Uh, Valyrian steel swords. Valyrian that... steel swords. There's fishmen that apparently live. Oh you yeah, know, Lovecraftian fishmen. Yeah, Lovecraft. You know, she's really got that in's mouth look. Damn. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, going going back to like relating it to tabletops. Honestly, the one of the big things that Game of Thrones does really well that can be related to tabletops is the politicking and that's if you're playing a tabletop game not necessarily like D&D or Pathfinder or whatever what have you if you're playing a tabletop game that involves that sort of politicking you know where it's like you trying to convince another player across the table to to go in with you on player number three over here without player number three being any the wiser that you're trying to do that leaving openings in your defenses to to allow player number two you being player number one so it, mm -hmm. allow player number two an easier access to player number three and then player number three getting mildly frustrated at you because you let your defenses down so their defenses are weaker that sort of stuff is really emphasized you know what's the closest to politicking i remember our group doing uh, there was like a dresser or a chest or something that was very clearly a trap. I look over at Ian. Hey, you want to open that? <laughs> <laughs> the great Cornell Sunders, everyone. The, the great Cornell. Oh, <laughs> Cornell, this this chest seems too sturdy for my for my feeble arms. We need we need a strong man such as yourself to open this for us. Opens it, gets stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know when. Your sorcerer has 18 strength. <laughs> Dude looks like Terry Crews. 18 strength, 18 charisma. Yeah. <laughs> Walks into the room, casts a spell, and yells out, Explosions! <laughs> what, well, he would, but the problem is that he turned into a potted plant. <laughs> and then started exploding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Walks into an enemy camp, is sneaking around. Some dude peeling potatoes looks up at him, sees him. It's like, oh geez, flexes at him. It's like, ah, dude, dude goes back into peeling his potatoes. You're right. <laughs> that did happen. I, that did happen. <laughs> oh, oh man, what a magical it's man a that was. Sometimes it's like the little human experiences that, like, as a DM. That you really just kind of have to let happen, right? Like, yeah, this dude sees some guy, like, sneaking around the edges of his camp, right? 
but it's a freaking ginormous dragon man, <laughs> right? Like, he's ripped, he's scaly skinned, right? Theoretically, like, you know, these these were also people from the cult of the dragon. Is he going to mess around with a dragon man? Like, he sees one, he, oh, geez, one of the lord, one of the masters is up to something, <laughs> right? It'll be just like later on in the campaign where, uh, you know, you guys betray the, um, like the frog guy and and whatever on the when they're gonna take you to the portal that takes you to uh, the the cabin right that's on top of the other mountains and Andrew Brandis playing Snapjaw right just stands by he doesn't participate in the fight and at the end when you guys win he's like mm, congratulations on your promotions my lord <laughs> right yeah he's Oh, this is an internal power struggle. I'm not going to deal with it. Some dude peeling potatoes looks out the back window, you know, of the, the cookhouse and sees, you know, one of those uh, dragonborn, like, outside, just gives him, like, the death stare and flexes. That guy goes, oh, man, he's going to break my head like an egg. <laughs> uh, nope. <laughs> goes right back to just what he was doing. Uh, right? <laughs> and I mean... It's like, you, you, right, you know, because you can screw with the players. You can be, oh, no, you alert everything. But, like, dude, come on. Dude. Like, like it's one guy saw you, and you can, at him? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> that's, that's the other thing. Like, the art of DMing is that just because your, your players failed stealth somehow doesn't mean they can't still work their way out of it. You, you failed stealth. Great. The dude who saw you knows that if he opens his mouth, he's dead. He's dead, and probably the other dude standing guard with him is dead. But you'll be dead. Does your party intimidate him enough to, to keep him from opening his mouth? Yeah, yeah, live or let live, right? Like, yeah. how, how serious is he about this? Right? Is he just like, yo, man, this is just a job? Yeah! <laughs> right? Listen, man, it was this or scrubbing toilets. I, I don't need this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I I just reminded myself of something while you were saying that. I don't know why it reminded me of it, but mm -hmm. everyone loves the idea of, like, this trap-infested dungeon. And we'd be remiss to not mention Indiana Jones in that regard. Oh, yeah. Of, like, these trap-infested, like, dungeons with nothing along the way till you get to the very end and you get that and one... And you have the treasure. You get that one golden MacGuffin of treasure at the very end, whether it's the Holy Grail or the Ark of the Covenant or what have you. The the jeweled head of Machu Picchu, something. <laughs> like, the, it, it, you, it, we'd be remiss to not mention those high adventure movies. And they're not even fantasy in a lot of regards. Uh, but yeah, Indiana Jones is like an action adventure with fantastical elements. But yeah, it yeah. has it has fantasy to it, but for the most part, it's the no the, one would the, scream if you decided if you just straight up said Indiana Jones is not a fantasy movie. <laughs> the the poison darts coming out for, because you stepped on the wrong floor tile, uh, literally just the running from the rolling boulder. Yeah, right. Those kinds of traps. Uh, you can open up the DMG there, right there. Yeah, every single one of them. Yeah, uh, all of Pick the... Pick a trap from Indiana Jones, it is in the Dungeon Master's Guide. 
Yeah. Almost word for word. You know what's one trap I wish was in the DMG? Mm-hmm. Precuriously set rake. Oh, yeah, so oh, some, from somebody just Simpsons. steps on it and... Ah! From The <laughs> Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where you, you'd need to roll, uh, like, agility or something every time you go through this field that has a precuriously set rake in it. And then... And it's always the same one. It's always the same one. You step in the field. <laughs> no, there's like three, and it just traps you. You're constantly... <laughs> right? Oh, it, he, you're, I'm you're, stun-locked! You're suddenly being attacked by three, five wolves. Yeah. Right? And they're just tripping you. Yeah, they're not, they're right? not attacking Constantly. you, they're just tripping you. Yeah, they're just doing... Your DM's a... Ah. Your, your DM's a jerk, and he just keeps using trip attack, and there's nothing you can do. Right? You can't get up. Or you're like me during 4th Ed, when I uh, gave a group of 16 halflings uh, blankets covered in tree sap that they would just throw on the party, and the party would just be restrained by the blankets. So, here's what he should have done. They should have been tiny nets. Regardless of if they were statistically, like, cloaks or whatever you said with uh, sap on them. Tiny nets. No one can escape the tiny net. <laughs> Doesn't even cover the, the top half of their torso. Just, like, gets on their face. <laughs> messes up their hair. <laughs> the exact joke I was thinking of. Brock <laughs> Samson. <laughs> yeah, man. These nets... These net guns usually don't even incapacitate the guy. They usually just end up messing up his hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there has to have been, like, a Venture Bros reference in, like, a, a part of our campaign that was, like, at least partially inspired by Venture Bros. Not just, like, a quote or something, but just, I like, think I think Venture Bros is the amalgamation, or Venture Brothers. Great show if you haven't ever watched it, but it's just the amalgamation of all... Of the content that you pull from to make a good DD campaign setting. <laughs> there's a shapeshifter, there's like some super kill guy who just has like nothing but a knife and and a mullet to kill people with. And he's voiced by Patrick Warburton. Yeah, he's <gasps> voiced by Joe from uh, Family Guy, for those who don't know who Patrick Warburton is. Or Crunk from Emperor's New Groove. Better better example. <laughs> <laughs> Venture Brothers would end up being like a second edition party, right? <laughs> Where you've got like a fighter, a cleric, two Fred from Scooby Doo, yeah, two thieves, Fred from Scooby Doo, Dracula, yeah, Vlad Dracula. Some guy is role playing a fire breathing full on dragon, and there's a dude from uh, and there's a cat person because there's one in every group. That one, okay, the cat person is is. A optional add-in sometimes they come in but to create like the real full ensemble right there's just a there is a space marine like out of starship <laughs> troopers <laughs> <laughs> like a dude with just a gun right whether it shoots lasers or bullets and you're like why did they allow you in here <laughs> why, did, why then, does your character sheet say you have a pulse rifle you said we we're playing colonists right I'm a colonial marine. No, we're... Oh, my God. <laughs> and then... First encounter, your uh, your opponent sends crabs at you, and you're like, is that a crab with a top hat and a monocle? Come on, Master Chief. Let's get out of here. Yeah, let's get out of here. Uh, you know, but that's that's the common joke, right? Is like, especially 3-5. 
right? Oh, yeah. Is, oh, yeah, you know, here's the story of the time I played a sentient wheelbarrow, right? Or here's uh, here's the, the story of Sir Barrington. Please read my green text, right? <laughs> I, I, I want to believe against... I want to believe against... Like, All hope that Nate really played in that party. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's like, ah. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a friend of ours who played in who claims to have played in a party of where in, there one, was of the, a, in one of the most like famous green text yeah stories like, like told D and D stories like n- not through like published work but through like fans ch- sending each other memes on the internet like yeah yeah on, on a top uh, Taiwanese smoke signal website. Yeah, yeah, on an underwater basket weaving forum. Yep. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of green texts, you know, like what what's the one of the the orc uh, professional wrestler? Orc professional. I think the, it was a dwarf, but it was like no, El- no, 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 no. It's it, a half orc. Yeah, it's a half orc wrestler. Uh, he's the shark of the land. He's LT Brown. LT Brown. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> the the player invests all of his points that he can in being a better grappler as a monk so he just goes into fights and then just like pins the dude and then declares victory because the guy is pinned yeah so you know he does that to a dragon while it's flying through the air yeah because they crash to the ground i want to pin its wings does a tombstone pile driver on a dragon but they're so far up in the air that he also dies yeah he also dies (laughs) And then, because they had a cleric on hand, he was fine. He's like, don't, wor- don't worry. I just do a little prayer. Welcome back to the land of the living, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> Raises broken, his hand. Yeah, broken bones included. <laughs> uh, Raises his hand. Guy can't speak because his jaw is broken. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Most, most of his body is just a meat sack filled with gravel. <laughs> Good band name. Uh, Don't worry, guys. We have magic for this. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, you have one point of HP. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, somehow, all of your ills. <laughs> you know. Congratulations. You have yeah. one hit point. You're no longer coughing up your internal <laughs> organs. Your cleric just does the your the, liver's back in place. <laughs> your cleric just does the rocket power. Uh, <laughs> woogly, 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 woogly to, uh, to, the, to the unconscious character, and they just come back with one point of hit points and do it back. Yeah. So. Rocket power. Now that's <laughs> no, no, a show no. that influences say, tables. <laughs> I don't. I. The unfortunate thing is, is no. sometimes how it gets brought up in our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes the DM will just come to the table without much for other than like three in, three combat encounters and just like hope upon hopes that the players come up with some garbo to entertain themselves for, <laughs> two, for two, three hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, he hopes that they can tell a story themselves. Yeah. Um, Using but... random event tables. <laughs> That is an art in and of, of itself. Uh, I guess if there was like one other thing we'd bring up, just like change up the pace a little and talk about like 
Star Wars and like science fantasy versus science fiction. Ooh. Okay. So, I have a lot of opinions on this. So honestly, maybe I like go that's second. why I made the specification. Maybe I should go second. Unless, mm-hmm. like, okay. Ray, you're a fan mm-hmm. of like Warhammer, which I would classify as science fantasy. Fantasy, definitely. But I mean, Star Wars in a light sense, like, like so before like really expanded universe and everything else really starts coming into place. Star Wars is science fantasy, right? It's just the more the setting develops and the more that gets explained, the closer and closer you slide like, down that scale. The more explanations science there are. Fiction. The yeah, more, they, yeah. yeah. But I would say uh, roughly that Star Wars and Warhammer 40,000 are both on the fantasy side of the scale. Yeah. Right, of the litmus, of the... With the pH range. If you're talking about space sci-fi yeah, versus Star Wars space, space fantasy. <laughs> if you're talking about space sci-fi versus space fantasy, and you don't have a you don't have a way to explain faster than light travel that's meaningful, then you're starting to venture down that path of sci fantasy. Because so this is going to be maybe de- delving into a little bit too much of uh, the math and science for people, but there's a problem with going close to the speed of light. Things get heavier as they get closer to the speed of light, which Star Trek has solved this problem by saying, oh, we just create a field around whatever we're doing, and that field is what's moving. The field is effectively weightless, so we're just moving this field almost like a wormhole through space. Okay. So that, that's how warp sort of works. That's the, the, the really surface level explanation of, of warp drive. They actually, there's actually been doctoral papers written on how mathematically warp drive could work after they came up with the term warp drive. While we're on this subject, I'm, I'll just throw in Star Trek Trek as well. We're, we're pretty close on time. Okay. Um, but in... In the we case, can still discuss, but... Yeah, in, in the case of Star Trek, that's wholly in... I mean, okay, so I would consider it more sci-fantasy than most people would consider it, but it is definitely sci-fi. Like, it's on the other side of the spectrum it's, that Ray brought up. Yeah, it's closer to what you would call hard sci-fi, where they try to... They at least try to give the audience some of an explanation of what's going on. I think the, the best example of hard sci-fi I... The Expanse. I was going to bring up Mass Effect, but... Uh... No, the, the Expanse is by far the best example of hard sci-fi. Okay. There is literally nothing in the Expanse that does not meet modern understanding of physics and how it would work. They have exactly one technology that is well beyond our grasp and two more technologies that are partially beyond our grasp, being fusion and a fusion-powered uh, propulsion system. Outside of that, the expanse is almost entirely within human technology. That's the show where there's like a. I, I never watched it, but like that's the one where there's like. It's on my watch list. Okay, like there's like Earthlings, Martians, and then there's people in like the, the outer the asteroid belt, and then like people from the asteroid of... belt can't come to Earth, otherwise the gravity will actually kill them. Yeah, and all of them are like taller and thinner because there's no gravity to hold them down as they're growing. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of biological problems that, that come with living in weightless environments for long periods of time. Yeah. That, that people who think that, you know, Mars colonies are not very far off often fail to consider. Especially things like Earth having a magnetosphere. Uh, and, I mean, this is, this is probably delving into a topic that's not really suited for this conversation, but, I mean... If you're in space, there's gamma rays in space. Just mm-hmm. free-floating gamma rays in space. How do you think we get the Hulk? And, <laughs> and I mean, planet Hulk aside, <laughs> uh, gamma rays usually kill people. Um, if not kill, cause cancer, which kills people. Or it makes the Hulk. True. The Apollo astronauts, though, when they came back from... Uh, from their orbit of the moon, they would uh, report flashing blue lights in their eyes as they were closed, which is a phenomenon known as Cherenkov radiation. Uh, that's from high energy particles just passing through their, their skin and into their eyes and just creating blue flashes. It wasn't frequent, but it would happen. That's the type of stuff that that hard sci-fi tends Rarely to... Rarely takes into Well, con- no, hard sci-fi tends to address it mm. in pedantic detail and sci fantasy almost completely ignores it which is why sci fantasy is a lot more approachable to a lot more people and i actually appreciate sci fantasy a lot more now than i did you know four or five years ago because looking at it you're not going to have someone sit down to a sci-fi setting and just say oh yeah what's the math that makes this successful what's the math that makes this work no you just want to see someone blow up the death star so what's the math behind uh, a lightsaber, dude? It's a, it's a high, it's a high frequency plasma torch. What do you want? Mm. Yeah, and like you, you're never gonna hear someone. Actually, you are gonna because I watch this type of stuff all the time. But uh, you're never gonna hear someone say, "Yeah, the Death Star wouldn't make a sound when it blows up." Because they and would then, be thrown out of the theater. Yeah, and then everyone <laughs> else is just gonna say, "Yeah, but shut up, though." <laughs> it would make it less enjoyable as a film. Oh, totally. It, less enjoyable as a movie. Totally. Listen, uh, more than being a space epic, Star Wars is a retelling of World War II. <laughs> <laughs> from the yeah, from just, the, just because of all the props. <laughs> from the context of a spaghetti western. <laughs> so, just because we've sort of broached the topic by bringing up Warhammer 40k, mm-hmm. um, I just want to mention because I think that this is as a tabletop experience. Uh, 40k fits wonderfully into getting influenced by other media right and a lot of it is actually really core to the setting right if we wanted to pick up that only war uh rpg book and play as a bunch of rambos who would we be that chance (laughs) yep we'd be the cat chance and i was about to say we'd we'd all be rambo i have some cat chance that i uh need to paint right? but like that that sort of stuff exists like everywhere you look you will find references to things right logan grimnar before he you know had his big axe right there was just a mention of a logan in an old uh i want to say it was an index astartes article before they had like a codex and he had dual lightning claws well I, who's a logan with claws wolverine yeah it's wolverine <laughs> Right, I mean, I remember. And, I mean, so, yeah. Hey, yeah, it, 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 and then it, it gets into weird stuff, right? Like Inquisitor uh, Obi Wan Sherlock Clouseau, uh, Sherlock Obi Wan Clouseau. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Sherlock, Obi-Wan, Clouseau. Right? <laughs> right? But everybody's like that, right? You can take these things that you're interested in and you can, in, fa in fantasy games where the setting is just that, it's a setting, you can mold these influences that you take from other media that you enjoy and put it in there. You can find a niche, right? There's... 40k has a region known as the Grendel Stars, right? Uh, the entire Necron race, you know, at least in the the minor stance, is just a reference to Terminator. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'll be back. Like, <laughs> further than that, I'd say that they were just like, like for a lot of its early years, 40k was just. Like, directly adjacent to, like, Judge Dredd in, like, 2000 AD, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, the... Like, Arbites are literally just are Judge, Judge Dredd. Dredd, right? But if you had a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if it was a, a functioning section of your government. The judges function, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, but the judges, if they were all yeah. exactly like Judge Dredd... Yeah, and the judge... cities are just Mega City 1, like... yeah. I remember pointing this out to uh, Andrew a, a, a year or so ago that uh, one of the YouTubers I watch mentioned like the the similarities between early 40k and Judge Dredd, mm -hmm. and specifically the Judge Dredd comics. And then Hoglin's or Hoglin, we call him Hoglin all the time. Andrew's like, oh, I don't huh. worry about it, and he just was interested, you know. And then all these or these two years ish later. And now it's just kind of an accepted fact because we've looked into it. And yeah, it's mm -hmm. a lot of the early writers for 40K were also writers for the Judge Dredd comics. So they, they share a lot of influences and a lot of, what's the word, uh, atmosphere yeah. in that regard. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover. But yeah. I mean, 40K is, I, I think, to me, a really fun melting pot where you're just all allowed to do that. Yeah. Right? And then, you know, for me, uh, there's some bleed there where stuff that, like, we, like, that I get through 40K will sometimes find itself back to our table uh, for D&D &D and stuff like that. Like, when we did the modern campaign, like, I came up with all of these, like, drow houses. And they're, they're all kind of based on different stuff. But um, quite a few of them were, like, just night lords. Right? Oh. And, like, uh, like, you know... And, like, even, like, pulling names and pulling practices and stuff from various, uh... You know, that makes media. a lot... That makes a, a couple scenes make a lot more sense. Like, the idea that, like, some of the NPCs were night lords. Yeah. And, I mean, 40k in, in a lot of... In a lot of regards is the... Is one of the ultimate melting pots of pop culture, too. Mm-hmm. Because you'll get... You'll get writers who just pull from, you know, Dante's Inferno or, like... 2001 a space odyssey or something and you'll just think to yourself wait that can't be a 2001 a space odyssey reference it's too much like this other thing and you realize it's both yeah well inquisitor Casavac at some point i think quotes frodo baggins yeah and i mean <laughs> you, in from, from my understanding, and I mean, Ray can correct me if I'm wrong, because he will, um, when the mic is off. Uh, from my understanding, almost everything that's written in 40k 
has its roots in something that's not 40k, but it's 40kified. In that it's made grim, it's made dark, it's made grittier, and it's also made to fit in the setting. At the same time as 40k has the ultimate uh, plot armor in uh, Unreliable Narrator. <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with you. And how I want to tie this back uh, again is what you see in like the overall melting pot of 40k and like grabbing all these things from the popular media you enjoy and then mixing and folding it and getting it to to fit in your thing that i think is just in indicative of tabletop role players and just tabletop gamers in general right those guys everyone involved who wrote the setting and has built it over the years Right, and taking inspiration from movies and, and other books and whatever else, right? There, that is just a larger picture of what happens at the game table when somebody comes in and they have their character sheet and they make their rogue, and oh, it's this, it's Riddick, right? Or it's, you know, whatever with a different, you know, can of paint on it. And then maybe like some few a few words here and there, and some lines taken from something else. Well, don't don't sell yourself short. I mean, or don't sell the game short. 40k is 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 a tabletop game itself too, right? Yeah. So you could go in and say, oh, I want to play a, a guard regiment, and I want them to be the Catachan models because I want them to be all big and bulky. And but I don't want them to be, like, from a jungle planet. Instead, I want them to be, like, from a, a temperate world or, so, or something. And then just make your own thing based off of some other media. Or, like, rather than having them be from a jungle planet and make it be a predator reference, have them be from a, a desert planet. And then replace the heads of your Katachan with the heads of Tolerant. And then suddenly you have these, like these, like, Muhajadeen uh, bodybuilders <laughs> as your dudes. Well, the the Talarn, in general, are just Lawrence of Arabia. Well, yeah. Right? Uh, and it, I I think they're they're better for it, for mm -hmm. making a reference to something that pe very few people outside of Britain would get. <laughs> I mean, it was a popular movie. Uh, yeah, like, 50 years ago. It, it, it was a popular movie. <laughs> um... Alright, uh, we're running a little short on time, so any uh, final thoughts? Anything you want to say? I hate this. See you next month. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I should have gotten a second beer. Same. Uh, I had a I had a nice gin and juice, and uh, then I was peer pressured into ruining it. I started, oh. I started uh, dipping into his gin and juice. <laughs> 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 Alright, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you for listening. And have a great rest of your day. <laughs>